0: DW Africa
1: Link.
2: It is 5 p.m. and you're tuned into DW Broadcasting from Bonn, Germany. Time for Africa Link show that brings you the latest from Africa and beyond. I am Okiri Ngushinado.
3: And with Okiri is me, Eddie Micah Jr. We welcome all our listeners from wherever you're listening to us from. Send us your comments on our Facebook page, DW Africa. Here's what's coming up. Ethiopia's government on Thursday dismissed allegations that its soldiers massacred scores of civilians last month in the country's restive Amhara region.
1: The armed forces opened fire when the security forces conducted a house-to-house search as per the law. So the defense army defended itself. In this sense, the defense force did not target civilians in any way.
2: As African leaders gather in Ethiopia for the AU summit, questions are arising if the AU is doing enough to end conflict in the country.
4: The AU has problems uh, sometimes addressing concerns of member states and it becomes a little more acute when the concerned member state is the headquarters of the of the AU.
3: I'm sure you want to get the details of those stories plus much more coming up. We'll get to that after the world's news in brief. DW News Welcome
5: to the news. My name is Jen Yinge. Kenya's opposition leader, Raila Odinga, has expressed interest in the powerful position of the African Union Commission chairperson to replace Musafaki. According to local media, Odinga is lobbying other African leaders to evaluate his suitability before he formally applies for the position. Kenyan President William Ruto's administration and African Union member states must back his bid. Israeli troops have stormed the biggest functioning hospital left in Gaza. The army describes the operation at the Enasa hospital in the southern city of Khan Yunis as precise and limited. It says there is credible intelligence that Hamas, which carried out the October 7th terror attacks, held hostages in that complex. DW's special correspondent, Amin Esif, is in Jerusalem with more details of the hospital raid.
6: At least one patient has died in the raid so far. The Israel Defense Forces and press statements said that they were looking to retrieve the bodies of hostages. Uh, What they're talking about here is those hostages that have already been killed by Hamas. So they're not talking about retrieving uh, living hostages, but the bodies of hostages. So that's the situation at the hospital at this moment.
5: DW's special correspondent, Amin Esif, in Jerusalem. A two-day NATO summit in Brussels has ended with big challenges still facing the alliance. Among them are the wars in Ukraine and Gaza and the requirement for member states to invest at least 2% of their economic output on defence. NATO Secretary General or General Secretary Jens Stoltenberg said despite the challenge, the outlook remains positive.
7: I'm confident that NATO will remain the strongest and most successful alliance in history. And I expect the United States to continue to be a staunch ally for at least three reasons. First, it is in the national security interest of the United States to have a strong NATO. Second, there is actually broad bipartisan support for NATO in the United States. And thirdly, the criticism in the United States It's not primarily against NATO. It's it's against NATO allies not spending enough money on NATO.
5: This news is coming to you from DW in Bonn, Germany. South Africa's Foreign Minister Naledi Pando has blasted Israel's spokesperson for accusing her government of representing the interests of the Hamas terrorist organization. Pando, who is in the Ethiopian capital, Addis Ababa, to attend the African Union summit, said the international community had a responsibility to bring the Israel-Gaza conflict to an end. And Ukraine's military is repositioning some troops in the frontline town of Afdeska to what it calls more advantageous positions. The eastern town has seen months of heavy fighting. Kiev says it is redeploying some forces because it's difficult to supply Afdeska and get people cut out. Russia is trying to seize the town, which is seen as the key to the Donbass region. For more news and information, head on to our website, dw.com forward slash Africa. My name is Jane Nyinge.
3: Thank you, Jane, for the news. You're listening to DW's Africa Link Show broadcast from Monday to Friday. I am Eddie Micah Jr.
2: And I'm Okerin Kushinada. We would like to welcome those also listening on our Facebook page, that is dwafrica.com please feel free to leave your comments down there. I can already see Magnus Boateng joining from Ghana. David Chamba, hello to Okeri and Eddie and also Jane. I hope Jane hears this hello that you're getting from David <laughs> and Chamba.
3: <laughs> I think Jane definitely heard that. Okay, yeah. let's jump straight into our top story. African leaders have gathered in the Ethiopian capital, Addis Ababa, home of the African Union, AU, for the Continental body's Annual Summit. Now, according to AU Commission Chairperson Faki Mahamat, ...regional integration and maintaining momentum in addressing issues of peace and security is high on the agenda.
2: Mm-hmm. But in an ironic twist, Eddie, the host of the summit mm-hmm. has also um, initiated, has either initiated or been involved in multiple conflicts in the last three years. Yeah. Ethiopia's two-year civil war with the state of Tigray may have ended in November 2022 after a Pretoria pact, but federal troops are currently upping drone strikes against rebels known as Fano Militia in the state of Amhara next door to Tigray. Yeah,
3: that's right. Now, this week, the Ethiopian Human Rights Council said at least four 25 civilians had been killed by federal troops in Amhara, which the federal government denies. Let's look at the situation in Ethiopia in this report voiced by Kai Nebe.
7: The Ethiopian government has denied reports of recent extrajudicial killings by state security forces in the town of Merawi, located in the Amhara region. Leges Tulu, the Minister of State for Communication Services, confirmed that there was a clash between the Ethiopian National Defence Force and the non-state militia Fano in the town, but says that the defence forces did not target any civilians.
1: Armed forces attacked the camp where the National Defence Army was stationed in four directions and looted equipment and logistics. When the army takes action using its right to defend, the armed forces fled into civilian areas. The armed forces opened fire when the security forces conducted a house-to-house search as per the law. So the defence arm defended itself. In this sense, the defence force did not target civilians
7: in any way. Earlier this week, a preliminary report by the Ethiopian Human Rights Commission revealed that Ethiopia's government security forces killed at least 45 civilians in a massacre in Amhara state in late January. According to the report, the exact number of casualties remains unconfirmed pending further investigation. At least 15 people, including women, were killed during a door-to-door search by government forces in a different part of Amhara earlier in the month, the Ethiopian Human Rights Commission said. Media access in northern Ethiopia is heavily restricted by the authorities, making it impossible to verify the situation on the ground. In an interview with Deutsche Welle, Leges stated that the military acted in self-defense and responded with necessary action. News from the report of the extrajudicial killings have generated sharp criticism internationally. The U.S. government and the British embassy have expressed serious concerns on the issue happening in the country. Meanwhile, the European Union has called for an independent investigation into the matter, which Ethiopia's state minister dismissed.
1: There is a board of inquiry. Apart from this, it is not appropriate to say that another party will come in and investigate. These supposed powers are always worried about Ethiopia. So we have our own institutions. Our institutions are accountable to the public. If any party commits an offence or causes any damage, action will be taken according to the laws and regulations.
7: Violence in the Amhara region has ignited concerns about the stability of Ethiopia, especially after a peace agreement was signed in November 2022 to end the war in Tigray. The peace deal fueled a sense of betrayal among the Amhara, with the two regions sharing a history of land disputes. Tensions escalated in April last year when Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed's government decided to dismantle regional forces across the country, which triggered protests among Amhara nationalists who said it would weaken their state. In September, the Ethiopian Human Rights Commission accused federal forces of carrying out extrajudicial killings in Amhara, and mass arbitrary detentions in the region and elsewhere. That was Kai Nebe with that report.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, Eddie, considering that the AU summit is being held in Ethiopia, I mean, I earlier spoke to Professor Macharia Munene, a professor of history at the United States International University, Africa, and asked if the regional body is doing enough to end the conflict in the country.
4: The AU has problems uh, sometimes addressing concerns of member states, and it becomes a little more acute when the concerned member state is the headquarters of the of the AU. So, how to separate itself from AU business and not, uh, and then um, the problem within the country is a challenge, and there is uh, maybe difficulties in trying to address the government of Ethiopia to deal with certain issues when the Ethiopia itself is the host. So. The determination, uh, depending on the chairman and the, the commission and all those things, uh, how easily they can or cannot reach the Ethiopian leadership is a different matter. So It's mm-hmm. complicated.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, I mean, and Addis Ababa's relations with neighboring Somalia are also frosty at the moment because of the port deal that was signed in January with Som- Somaliland. Is this something the yes. AU could possibly discuss
4: I think uh, the heads of state, when they meet, they can um, discuss and say that discourage Ethiopia from pursuing that line. I think uh, Abe has been uh, informed in different ways that what he was trying to do is not acceptable uh, to the rest of the AU because it violates a fundamental principle of the OAU, au and that, that countries do not contract and they do not expand. Uh, which was done as a matter of security for everybody. So what uh, he tried to do the other day is to expand at the expense of Somalia. So And that was in violation of the basic principle. And I think the others have no problem telling him that. And I think he has been told. So there are indications that he may be toning down.
2: Now the summit started today and some of the talking points is addressing issues of peace and security what can we? What more can we expect from the summit?
4: Well, I think they issue some nice statements about what they have agreed, and um, try to see the seriousness, uh, sound more serious than they have been sounding before. If they can get bay officially to renege or retract his um, desire to annex part of the Somalia or in Somaliland, uh, that would be a major achievement and then they can discuss how he can be uh, facilitated to transfer things. I think there is talk already of trying to revive the LAPSET project and uh, ensure that LAMU is operational. But LAMU has a problem that uh, for anything to operate, there has to be a railroad and a highway which are not there yet. So expedite the LAPSET project to benefit Ethiopia. And other countries like South Sudan, that one they can talk about and say, yes, you are going to redouble the effort. And that would be encouraging.
2: I mean, the Horn of Africa, we're currently seeing a lot of conflict that is happening there, not only with Ethiopia and Somalia, but also also what's happening in Sudan. What more can the AU do to ensure peace prevails in the region?
4: Sudan is complicated. You have two Janjaweed generals now fighting each other. Uh, They were together, but they're fighting for power. And then it turns out that each side is uh, is supported by some forces that are external to Africa. And that in itself um, makes the situation very difficult to deal with. But the AU can try to address the sponsors, those countries that are sponsoring the fighting uh, they can address the, particular, the two generals, and they have tried to address the two generals, but they also need to address those who are supporting them from outside, the, outside Sudan. Because the, without addressing that, then they, they will be just talking. And let the sponsors know that Africa lose, and it's not pleasing.
2: Mm-hmm. I was speaking to Professor Macharia Munene, a professor of history at the United States, International University, and in Africa.
3: On our Facebook page, DW Africa, we asked, why isn't the AU, you know, doing much about the conflict in Ethiopia? Because that's what a lot of you have been suggesting. John Saba says, AU, echo us, I have not seen their impact on the ground. Look at DLC, Sudan, South Sudan, Amhara and Cameroon. Name them. Full of insecurities, tears on the faces of citizens and they're doing nothing is basically Mm -hmm. what John is saying.
2: And TOSBC says the AU doesn't exist. It's another branch of the European Union.
3: Uh, Shots fired. Yeah. <laughs> Shots fired with that one. I mean, it just tells you, Kerry, okay, how people are displeased. with How with, they feel yeah, about it. You know, with what they're doing. Gida Torrey says, AU is tired of focusing on the conflict always. That's never ending on our continent due to the ignorance of uh, and irresponsibility of some individuals, you say.
2: Mm-hmm. I see a comment as well from Lambert Kevin on DW Africa. On our Facebook page, um am saying, I don't think the AU has any impact in all conflict zones because those who are there are struggling for their stomach. Mm.
3: Yeah, a lot of uh, pessimistic people yeah. on the regional organization, the AU and other regional bodies, isn't there?
2: I mean, that's the yeah. same sentiment that was also said um, is the, earlier this month when yeah. um, Niger, Mali and Burkina Faso also decided to um, leave. I mean, I mean, leave the um, regional bloc. ECOWAS. was. Yeah. It's a thing of um, this regional bodies are kind yeah. of not really serving the term. I mean, serving the people, the yeah. countries, and what they need.
3: Yeah, that's the argument definitely being made. Okay, we appreciate your thoughts. Keep them coming through on our Facebook page, DW Africa. If you just joined us, this is the Africa Link program. With me, Eddie Micah Jr.
2: And with Eddie is Okering Gushinado. You can also join us on our Facebook page, DW Africa, and comment there. I can see the comments still coming. um, Monji Aranyos, greetings from Bamenda. Greetings back to you. And, And Ahmed Ishigeo, listening from Nigeria.
3: Okay, welcome on board. Still to come on the program, cervical cancer is killing so many women in Zambia each year. We hear from a survivor who says it should not be a death sentence.
8: I'd like to emphasize on the point of regular screening for our women because, um, yes, I know some people will say that, you no, know, it's painful. Others will say that it isn't comfortable. It is a few minutes that could save your life.
2: Definitely a few minutes that could save a lot of women's lives. Yeah. But also still to come, we'll also um, find out who the most expensive female football player is. And fun fact, she is from Africa. So stay tuned if you want to know more. Yeah,
3: I can't wait to hear more about that with our very own Aram Atipu, who is in the studio and already uh arab I don't know if your microphone is on now, but if it is uh well you Magnus Ayamba wating is saying hello to you so well when you get there, you can definitely mm-hmm. respond <laughs> respond to him but uh let's uh before we get into that sort of world record breaking story, let's talk about the brain drain. It's a mm-hmm. term we hear you know day in day out, mm-hmm. but just to give you an idea of what it is when highly educated or skilled individuals move from a particular country or region to another. That drain of talent can have a significant economic, social and political consequence for the country they move from.
2: That's right, Eddie. But some people say that it could be a blessing in disguise. I mean, Africa's diaspora is important for the continent's economic development, providing critical financial support for families and societies back home. Our correspondents in Nairobi, Accra and Kampala looked at the issue of brain drain. Let's start with Sela Oneko from Nairobi, Kenya. Brain drain has a mixed impact in Kenya. On the one hand, it takes highly skilled workers outside the country. On the other hand, they send large amounts of money back home. In 2022, remittances from Kenyans living abroad became the largest source of foreign exchange amounting to 4.3 billion US dollars. In fact, Kenya's president announced that he hopes to double this number and export even more Kenyan workers. Kenyan data shows that migration increases with the level of education. Healthcare workers are some of the main professionals leaving Kenya for better jobs or further education. In fact, Kenyan healthcare workers went to the streets complaining about the lack of good and stable jobs, even though hospitals here are understaffed. In
0: 2022, Ghana's youth unemployment rate stood at 7.14 percent. Now, millions of young Ghanaians are constantly searching for new jobs. Many of them, sadly, including those with essential skills, only see themselves doing better outside Ghana. When you stay at one place, it's like you are killing your career. But then once you take that very bold step, moving from your comfort zone and then stepping out, looking at a country like Germany uh, it's a place for the future. Well, what excites me about the career opportunities is that, that you get to learn different views from other people. You get to learn new ideas, new technology, new languages and all that. The key destination has been Europe and the Americas. In fact, Germany is second only to the United Kingdom as top destinations for the Ghanaian diaspora populations. Now, Ghana is also one of the countries the EU has constantly targeted with its migration reforms that focus on skilled labour. A migration centre that offers counselling to young people seeking to travel has also been operational for some time now. With Ghana still struggling economically and not being able to create opportunities for many young people, migrating outside has become a necessity rather than a luxury for millions, including professionals. In Uganda, the problem of brain drain exists. But because of poor documentation, it's hard to appreciate the real impact of this problem. Many professionals try and seek employment outside the country, mainly because of unemployment here and poor pay. But also travelling outside Uganda is not an easy attempt, mainly because of visa and travel restrictions. But the few who are lucky to find jobs outside Uganda when they leave, some don't even want to come back.
3: That was Julius Mugambwa in Kampala. We also had from Isaac Khaled in Accra and Sela Onyeko in Nairobi.
2: Mm-hmm. And now cervical cancer, which affects the cervix, a part of the female reproductive system, is the leading cancer in women. In Zambia alone, cervical cancer is responsible for killing almost 2,000 women per year. But the good news is if diagnosed early, it can be easily treated.
3: That's right. There are many people who have survived the disease. That includes media and fashion personality Karen Nakawala. She says cervical cancer is not a death sentence. Our correspondent Kathy Short in Lusaka, Zambia, met with her and sent us this report.
6: Karen Nakawala is a household name in Zambia and wows her listeners with her infectious laughter on the Sunday Mellow Madness radio show. In conservative Zambia, Nakawala is not shy to speak about sexuality as she addresses myths linked to cervical cancer. In 2019, Nakawala was diagnosed with stage 2B cervical cancer after the insistence of a doctor friend to go for screening. She did not have any symptoms prior to the diagnosis and was even working normally
8: and he kept calling me and so in the afternoon I decided you know what after I finished my work let me go and do this thing to get this man off my back.
6: After the diagnosis Nakawala said her world froze and all she could think about was death and leaving her two children behind. Nakawala made it through her cancer treatment which included chemotherapy And radiation. She says even though she suffered from the effects of chemotherapy, which include nausea, fatigue and loss of appetite, she was working throughout her treatment.
8: And lucky for me, between diagnosis and
5: start of treatment was less than three weeks which I think in this time and age, I consider myself really lucky because I've got women right now in this country that are waiting two years to go on treatment.
6: After treatment, Nakawala became an instant advocate for women on cervical cancer, not only in Zambia, but also on a global platform with the World Health Organization. She founded Teal Sisters Foundation, a non-profit aimed at raising awareness on cervical cancer with more than 130,000 followers on Facebook.
8: I realized that if a person like me, who I'd like to believe is fairly exposed, had very little knowledge about cervical cancer, what about the women out there, the ordinary woman out there? So I thought um, i start this foundation so that we can equip our women with information and we give them knowledge about cervical cancer because it is a cancer that is preventable.
6: I asked her, if she had any advice for younger women on cervical cancer.
8: I'd like to emphasize on the point of regular screening for our women. Because um, yes, I know some people will say that no it's painful, others will say that it is uncomfortable. Yes, it is uncomfortable because that is a foreign body that is being inserted into you and, and you're, you're gonna feel uncomfortable, but it is a few minutes that could save your life.
6: According to the World Health Organization, more than 70,000 new cases of cervical cancer are diagnosed annually in Africa. But with early detection and treatment, it should not be a death sentence.
2: Kathy, short with that report and just, I mean, to emphasize on what she said, early Mm -hmm. detection is the best. When it comes to cervical cancer, all kinds of cancers. So just keep going for your screenings, keep going for those checkup ladies it's yeah. very very important yeah.
3: regular regular checkup sometimes you may not feel any symptoms mm-hmm. but still just go do checkups there could be something hidden hidden there so that's that's a good advice okay
2: mm-hmm. very true but now we are joined by era matipo for showbiz there is more news making headlines around the world let's look at them yeah. Iram. Iram. let us
9: know what, what's happening <laughs> alright so before I get to that I would like to say hi to Magnus and thank you so much for joining us
3: I hope Magnus is listening he said, he said hello a long time ago and now you're coming in <laughs> but seriously Iram, I hear Africa has a world record when it comes to football what's that all about
9: yes so the National Women's Soccer League expansion site which is BFC has signed a Zambian star Rachel Kundanaji for $787,000 Seven hundred eighty-seven thousand six hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. That's without add-ons. So okay. she's currently the most expensive player in women's mm-hmm. football history. So, additionally, she's also the first African male or female to bring a tra- a transfer-free record.
3: Oh, yeah,
2: wow. uh, that is crazy! Congratulations uh, to her. I mean, <laughs> for I, I'm I'm very much unfamiliar with her. T- um, Tell me more about Rachel and her previous um, record holders. Okay, so
9: Rachel was with Madrid CFF before joining uh, BFC on a four-year deal. So she's a 23-year-old player for the Zambia Women's National Team. Mm -hmm. She competed at 2023 FIFA Women's World Cup, scoring her first World Cup goal. She's also the second highest scorer, which is 25 goals in Liga F in the last season. Mm -hmm. So... Um the previous record holder um in twenty twenty two Kira Walsh um set the record by moving from Manchester City to Barcelona for four hundred thousand pounds. Okay. That's in twenty twenty two. But currently just last month we have um the Levante striker Myra Ramirez um signed by Chelsea, for £384,000 um, for the Columbia Forward, that's plus €50,000 Euros add-on. So if we add all that, meaning she was the um, record holder mm-hmm. in... Yeah. 2024, that's oh. January. I mean, yes. I've
3: not had so much money in in, yes. in, 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 in yeah. a few seconds now. You're just mentioning <laughs> so much money. So at the end of the day, this, Rachel uh, from Zambia is the current World Record holder when it comes to uh, money that has been splashed on her services By by another team Right Now It's still a huge gap Between the men and women Isn't it
9: Yes So in comparison The record fee For a men's player Is 263 million dollars That's a lot By Neymar (laughs) So he was signed For Paris Saint-Germain In 2017 so, yeah. looking at that, um, women football is still growing. And I think they pay more attention to the men's side. That's why um, the women are still behind. But I'm sure with time, with more sponsorship deals, the women's side will also grow and maybe catch up with the men, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah, yeah
2: I mean, it's it's amazing that she already got signed for that much. But, you know, I can't wait for women footballers to also <laughs> reach millions, you know, to yeah. kind of see that. End. But I. Is there
9: any new FIFA World Ranking, right? I mean, how is Africa representing in all of this? Okay, so, well, um, Morocco is actually first in Africa, but 12th in the world. And Senegal is second in Africa, but 17th in the world. Nigeria, who was second in the African Cup of Nations, um, is third in Africa, but 28th in the world. Then we have Egypt, 4th in Africa, but 36th in the world. Ivory Coast, 5th um, in Africa, 39th in the mm-hmm. world.
3: And uh, let me guess, Ghana yeah, is not in the I top don't 10. Ghana no,
9: knows. Ghana is 14 <laughs> yeah. somewhere you know, in let, Africa.
3: Let's just move on. Right? There's, there's nothing interesting <laughs> to talk about from that side. But thanks for giving us the, uh, the update for FIFA World Ranking and how African teams are doing. Uh, before you go, um, we're hearing something about Lupita Nyong'o of Wakanda fame making history. What's that?
9: Okay, so she's um, the head of jury, international jury, at this year's Berlin Film Festival. So this is history. This Mm -hmm. is a great achievement because she's the first black person in its 74-year history to lead the panel selecting the winners of the top prizes. So that's why it's a great achievement.
3: Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's... uh, that's you know, these are the things we like to celebrate, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And uh, I know Okeri is very happy for her. Okeri is a Lupita Nyong'o fan. Did you know that?
2: I am a fan of black women um, just kind of making oh, steps woman. and yeah, making strides and things. Yeah. Already there's a smile on my face when yeah. I heard that from Aram.
3: Glowing, definitely. Yes, of course. Aram, if, uh, if Okeri was a footballer, I mean, talking about transfer fees, how mm-hmm. much would she be going for, you think? I have Let, talent, so just talent? that in mind. Let's, like which let's a, a a talent? Let's be clear talent. <laughs> Aram. Aram is I, a- think,
9: I think what? she will make history By getting 100 million oh, Who's oh,
3: 100 million, Who's 100 million for, okay. <laughs> On that I very interesting note Let's wrap up the show Thank you very much Aram, <laughs> Aram Atipo for your contribution And uh, thank you guys for staying tuned into the program I am Eddie Micah Jr.
2: And this is football A legend of okay, Kering Bushinado Until <laughs> next time
0: <laughs> DW. Made for minds.